This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Sandra Ingerman. Sandra is a licensed psychotherapist and shamanic practitioner who teaches workshops around the world on shamanism and environmental sustainability. With Sounds True, Sandra has written a new book called Walking in Light, The Everyday Empowerment of a Shamanic Life, where she offers a complete guide for living in a shamanic way, empowered by purpose, focus, and a deep connection to the spiritual dimensions. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Sandra and I spoke about spiritual light and a practice she calls transfiguration, in which we turn ourselves into a radiant being of light. We also talked about working with ceremonies, and in particular, ceremonies we can use when we feel blocked or stuck in our life. And finally, we talked about the evolution of shamanism in the world today, and what shamanism offers us, not just as a set of techniques and practices, but as a way of life. Here's my conversation with Sandra Ingerman. Sandy, in your new book, Walking in Light, you write that you don't choose to be a shaman, but instead you're chosen by the helping spirits to be a shaman. So I'm curious in your life, how were you chosen? Well, um, it's always an interesting question to uh, ponder on how one is actually chosen by the spirits. From a, a classical shamanic point of view, oftentimes when a person has a near-death experience or a life-threatening illness or something extremely traumatic that happens in their life, it it shows a calling to a shamanic path. And when I was about seven years old, I was hit by lightning in Brooklyn, New York, of all places, um, a freak uh, a freak rod of lightning came through the window of our house and threw me up against the wall. And from a, a shamanic point of view, from a classical shamanic point of view, being hit by lightning is, is typically um, a sign of a shaman in the making. And I have um, students who lost children um, or who suffered very traumatic experiences in their life, and it was the initiation into uh, becoming a shamanic healer. And so in my own life, first I was hit by lightning when I was seven, and then I uh, drowned in Mazatlan um, when I was about 19 years old. 
and had a real classic near-death experience where I experienced myself going down a tunnel and coming out into the light and sitting in this amazing garden on a stone bench um, listening to music that I've never heard in this lifetime and don't expect to since. And then I drove my car off a cliff um, accidentally when I was in my 20s. And so I've had these experiences where I've gone over to what we would call the other side, back to source, back to a state of oneness, and came back. I was not personally aware of coming back with shamanic healing gifts or any kind of psychic gifts. But from a classical shamanic point of view, when a person comes back from these near-death experiences or these deep initiation experiences, it's oftentimes what um, brings a person into um, having their own psychic gifts emerge from them where they can now be in service to others, to the community and the planet. And was there something specific that happened in one of these near-death experiences where you felt like you were given your marching orders, so to speak, or your instructions for how you were to teach? I think um, throughout my teens, uh, being an explorer um, in the 1960s, I definitely got my marching orders. But as a kid... um, I was so in love with life, and I was so in love with nature. Again, even though I grew up in New York, I couldn't believe how beautiful the earth was and um, the plants and the trees, and I wanted to try everything. Life just seemed so incredibly precious to me. And I remember when I was really young, sitting on the couch in my living room, Um, saying to myself that somehow or other human beings got the mission um, or what life was about wrong and that we're really here to um, experience the preciousness of life and the beauty of being on this planet Earth and what a gift it is to be born here. And I remember saying the words out loud, I am going to devote the rest of my life to um, learning how to live a life filled with joy and remembering the preciousness, preciousness of life and teaching other people how to do the same. So there was something going on in my life, and I'm not exactly sure what it was because I was always such a creative being. I love to write. I love to draw. And I had visions of of um, a good life and what was possible and had a tremendous amount of compassion for the suffering that I saw around me when I was a little kid. People would stop me on the street and start to tell me their problems. And from the age of seven on, I worked in my father's store and I helped out at the cash register and um, putting products and bags for people to take home and people would come in and they just would come in again and again and share their problems with me. And so I think it was just part of a a destiny of um, being compassionate, a compassionate listener. 
and really getting to experience fully the um, the issues and the problems and the challenges that people were facing in life and just a deep desire of my soul for my soul, a soul's calling to want to help people remember why they're here and how to help them to move through some of their challenges. And so that deep calling stayed with me throughout my entire life, and I've always been um, working in service to help people um, either heal from traumas that were going on in life or to help to teach people shamanic practices that uh, not only help to heal and, and improve their health and well-being, but to open the door to lead people into um, there's a whole aspect of life that many of us are just not experiencing in our time because we're so lost in this collective trance and staying in the status quo and so much despair that comes from people not living a life um, that they feel passionate about or that's filled with meaning. And so it's been a real deep desire and a soul calling on my part to help people look at what how to tap into their own creative potential to improve the quality of their own lives. Sandy, I want to talk some about the title of your new book, Walking in Light, and this emphasis on light. I don't know if it's from your near-death experiences, but tell me what light means to you, why it's so important, and, and what this phrase, walking in light, means. Well, um, in shaman, shamanism is all about um, feeling connected to nature. And in nature, we do experience, we experience the dark and the light. We experience all the cycles. The sun goes up, the, the sun goes down, the moon moves from um, being new to being full. We go through seasons um, in life. And so there's a real paradox between um, experiencing our sense of oneness and connection with source and the divine and divine light, which is what my near-death experiences brought me to. And one of my near-death experiences, I went to a being that I call God, and I experienced just um, a luminous light that I can't even describe and just a feeling of peace and unconditional love that was beyond personality. It was love, uh, being held in love, not because who I was, but just because um, God is love. And there's that paradox of here we are as human beings, and we go through very challenging times and and the light takes us to the bliss of consciousness and and the darkness and that we go through takes us to the depths of consciousness and this is all part about um being a human being in in a world of of duality but as i said earlier i feel that uh in the collective trance that we live in oftentimes we we stay in um, the darkness and we 
we think that life is about just surviving and we forget that we came here to thrive and to um, have these life experiences that challenge us to grow. Yes, we're going to go through many challenges that force our growth, but everything in nature grows. As soon as something in nature stops growing, it dies. And so it's not about denying the challenges and, and the dark states. They're part of life. But I think it's time for people to also wake up to there's a whole um, another perception of life. And when we look through the eyes of spirit, which is so much part of what I write about in walking um, in light, when we look through the eyes of spirit instead of through the eyes of ego, uh, we see that there's a beauty to life and that there's always new growth and that we did come here to love and be loved and to experience joy. And part of that, of course, is the challenges, but to um, be able to move to a place where we can shift our perception and to experience the beauty and the joys of life um, is so much of the process that I feel passionate about leading people through. So walking in light is a metaphor um, to really describe that process of let's go for it. We're here. Uh, life is precious. Let's experience um, the joys of life and learn how to face our challenges and know that we have the tools um, to wake up each day and to know that we're going to be given whatever we need to go through whatever we have to go through, but to focus on the goodness of life and to learn how to see through the eyes of spirit and to see the beauty that life has to offer. One of the practices that you teach in Walking in Light is the practice of transfiguration. And I'm curious if you can explain that practice to our listeners and how it relates to this idea of seeing with the eyes of light, seeing through the eyes of light. Um, I, I have my BA in marine biology, and one of my interests has always been looking at how we can reverse environmental pollution. And so back in the late 1990s, I started writing about that and focusing on that particular subject. And after coming back from leading a group in Egypt, I had a dream where the Egyptian god Anubis came to me in a dream, and he introduced himself to me as a gatekeeper. And he said, the missing piece of your work with reversing environmental pollution is transfiguration. And then the, the dream was over. That was it. It was a powerful auditory message. And I woke up and I didn't know what transfiguration meant. So I actually went to Webster's and I looked it up. And um, in Webster's, it said transfiguration was shape-shifting. So I, I felt very confused by that answer because practicing shamanism, I always heard about shamans shape-shifting into wolves and ravens, but I couldn't make that connection between what did um, shape-shifting have to do with healing and reversing environmental pollution. 
And one of my clients at the time was my next-door neighbor who was dying, and she was a fundamentalist Christian. And she would come over, and we would just spend hours together. I taught her how to journey, and she had these profound journeys to Jesus. And one day she was lying on my floor, and we were just chatting away. And I told her about this dream that I had, and she sat up. um, She was so excited, and she became so animated. And she started telling me about the stories of Jesus transfiguring into a luminous light or greater light than anybody had seen. And when he touched anybody or if anybody touched his robes, they received a miraculous healing. And so all of a sudden, um, the light went off in me, and I understood that light heals. That's what Anubis was trying to explain to me, was that we can transform illness, whether it's in the environment or in others, working with spiritual light. And so I started researching all this shamanic literature, and I I started going to different spiritual texts from all different traditions, whether it was the Bible, the Kabbalah, um, the Taoist texts, um, some of the Vedic texts, and, and I kept seeing over and over again how spiritual masters and healers and shamans would, um, their presence would shift into one of light, and in that presence, others would heal. And so it inspired me to um, start to do a whole range of journeys and experiments. I started experimenting with people in my workshops where we would go through the process of what I would term transfiguration, where we would experience who we are beyond our skin. Who we are beyond our skin is spiritual light. We're body, mind, and spirit, and that spiritual light Um, is that um, reflection of source, the creator. And when we experience our light and let it radiate, not try to force it, but radiate like a star in the night sky, a star doesn't try to shine, it doesn't try to send its light anywhere, it just shines and lights up um, the earth in millions of miles. and brings beauty um, to the earth. And so we started to set up experiments, and I I worked with a physicist and a chemist where we would um, take deionized water, water that had nothing in it that it would react to, and we would put a pollutant, um, ammonium hydroxide, which is a common pollutant in the environment, and we would put the water in the middle of the circle And I would not have people send any healing, um, focus on the water at all. We would just journey within ourselves and experience our light and let it radiate uh, with the principle of um, the outer world will reflect back to us our inner state. And we had some really amazing results. I did this experiment in shamanic workshops all over the world, and we always experienced a change in the water coming back towards neutral. 
And then over the years, we started working with substances and a special camera where we could take pictures of the field of substances and people in the middle of our circle. And we started to notice that people in our circle were having these incredible healings from um, emotional and physical illnesses that we were going through. And so a focus of my work has been to help people, number one, experience who they are beyond their skin and to go on a shamanic journey into their inner world and to experience their own inner sunlight or their own inner starlight and let that radiate and allow their um, cells to absorb that light um, um, and that creates healing right there in, their, in, in itself. And then how we can um, work with clients in our own shamanic practice to be a healing presence so that we're helping people to heal through our presence and being a light in the world and how to join together in community to work on the challenges that we're going through in our environment and also in the world. So I address all three of those levels of working with transfiguration and walking in light. You know, it's interesting. I think often when people think of changing something in the outer world or even healing another person, it's about having an effect on this other. But you're talking really about changing one's own vibration, transfiguring into light oneself, and then this healing effect will just happen? Well, that's what we've seen in our workshops, and we've done, I've been doing experiments since 2000, and I think everybody has a piece of the puzzle. Every person who was born on this planet has a piece of the puzzle of a gift and a contribution that they have to share with being a positive change maker on the planet today. And what my own helping spirits have asked me, my piece, it's not the only piece that goes along with all the brilliant teachings that so many are bringing forth today, is that it, it's more of the feminine principle of who we become. Yes, we have to take actions, and yes, we have to change our behavior towards ourselves, um, how we treat others, all of life and the environment and the earth. Um, but to add to that, we oftentimes get so overly focused on doing that we forget that it's also who we are that ends up creating change. And so one of the examples that I love to give um, and I gave in, in Walking in Light is being in a grocery store once while I was on vacation and I was not feeling well. And there was a long line at the grocery store and the person who was checking everybody out, um, she was beaming. I mean, just beaming. And Every person who, uh, when it was their turn to check out and go through the line, 
she would have this conversation with them and start laughing and just brightened everybody up. And she ended up brightening up our whole entire line. Everybody started talking and laughing with each other. And this is a very simple example, but it has huge ramifications of so many people do spiritual practices to try and change what's happening in the world, but we forget about um, working on ourselves so that we start to become a healing presence and we brighten up people. I remember being at the post office and this man was looking um, very upset by something he read in the mail, and so I started this conversation with him, and when he left the post office, he looked me straight in the eye, and he said to me, thank you for brightening up my day. And it's these little acts that have an exponential effect, and what we've shown with using pH strips and pH meters and uh camera called a GDV camera, a gas discharge visualization camera that was developed by a Russian um, scientist, Konstantin Karakov, is we have shown that you can take water that is polluted and not send any healing to it, but to be a light and that that water will reflect back your state of light. And I had a student who took a group to a polluted pond, and she had um, a city worker who was willing to test the water before and after. This group went to the pond and worked on the pond. And when I say worked on the pond, they transfigured and just experienced themselves being light and radiating light and uh, some of the algae problems, the overgrowth of algae that was um, happening in this pond started to clear up. And so I think that we limit ourselves in our culture where where we focus so much on the dynamic energy, which of course is important, but we have to balance that with um, the feminine principle of um, becoming and and that state of being as a healing force and bridging that into all the brilliant work that's going on in the world right now to help people, um, other nature beings, all of life and the planet too. So it's about bridging those two principles into being. Let's say someone's listening, Sandy, and mm-hmm. they're excited about what you're saying and they're like, "Yeah, I want to transfigure into light and be more light in my life." How do I do that? Well, it's it's really simple. When I first started teaching transfiguration, I have to say I made it as complicated as one could make. And then um as I started presenting at conferences, and teaching transfiguration, and sometimes um, presenters, uh, sometimes as a presenter, I'd be given like 10 minutes to work with an audience of many hundreds of people to get them to, to transfigure. I realized that I was I was overcomplicating the process, and so after teaching this now for over 15 years. Um, 
it, I really give a very simple, very powerful practice that we can all do of either putting on a shamanic drumming CD or even putting on just a, a really um, nice piece of um, expanse, mind expansive music, a spiritual piece of music that you really love and just lying down and going inside yourself, imagining yourself going inside yourself and experiencing um, your own inner star, experience a star inside of you and let that starlight just grow. And remember that it's really important to absorb and soak in that light like a, a dry sponge um, being put in water and it soaks in that water or a flower that's been in the rain too long and the sun comes out and it that plant soaks in um, the sunlight. A very important part of the healing process, what I found, is um, having people to be able to absorb that light, that shining within. That's where the healing comes in. And so I recommend that people do this for a few minutes to 15 minutes a day or a few times a week um, to really experience the benefits of the work and to keep it simple, not make it complicated, just set your intention to go within, experience. Um, I, I give the metaphor of experience um, a star within you, but you can also experience the sun within you shining or the light of a flame and just allowing that light to grow, absorb it into your own cells, and then radiate it out into your communities and into the world. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now, one more question here about light and healing. In the book, you make a very strong statement. You write that working with light will be how we heal in the future. And I was curious what you meant by that. Are you thinking that we're going to have like some type of light-emitting instruments that we're going to use? Or, or what do you mean that working with light will be how we heal in the future? Well, um, we actually have in in um, different forms of healing right now, using infrared light, uh, using different sounds, um, it, or actually being integrated into different forms of, of healing right now and into medicine right now. And so one of the beauties about shamanism is because you're journeying outside of time, you can journey into the past or you can journey into the future. 
So one of the journeys that I've been um, teaching in my workshops around the world um, since 2000 is to have people journey to descendants way in the future, kind of after we've worked out some of the challenges that we're experiencing now, and to ask them how they use light and sound as their main form of healing. And it's really been um, quite extraordinary for me to go to different countries in the world and to listen to the similarities that come up in people's journeys around how um, this whole aspect of being a presence of of um, light and being able to radiate that and people working in community in that particular way uh, is um, a way of the future. And it's important to remember that our descendants are dependent on us getting it now so that we leave them a good world. And so they're very generous with their teachings um, because they really want to help us um, be able to evolve as human beings and to take better care of this planet and ourselves so that we leave um, a better Earth for them. And... So learning how to integrate this practice of working with light is something that people around the world have seen in their journeys as being a primary way of working in the future. And so I base that statement on the wealth of information that has been coming through in journeys about how people... um, will start to understand that our perception does create our reality and that we do have the potential to be a stronger presence of light and to be able to transform our outer world around us by being a presence of light. Well, I'm happy to know that in journeys all over the world, when people journey to their descendants, that we have descendants I noticed I feel really happy about that. It's it's really been interesting to listen to these journeys of um uh people talking about how simple life uh, becomes, you know, it's not as complicated as it is right now and that people live closer to nature and live a very joyful existence and Oftentimes, when people uh, talk to descendants and talk about healing illness, they go, well, we, we don't really deal with that anymore. But if something, if somebody does become ill, you know, this is how we work with it and how it's worked with on a, on a community basis. The whole community gets together, which was part of what happened in um, in traditional shamanism and former times and still happens today in Native cultures where it's not a private healing, but more the community gets together to help a person remember their gift and the strength and um, helps to um, heal because every person has such an important role in the community. The health and well-being of the entire community is dependent on the health of each individual. 
And so that was true um, and is still true today in indigenous cultures and is also true in the future times. And yes, we things look pretty bright but, um, from the journeys that people have reported, but life is very different than we know it now. I notice when I hear you talk about these reports that people have from their journeys to the descendants, it sounds a little like sci-fi to me. I don't know how seri- yeah. I don't know how seriously to take it. Like really? Right. Well, you know, the thing about shamanism is shamanism is is um a practice of direct revelation. And so in a in a shamanic culture, if you go into a traditional shamanic culture and you share a journey about descendants, nobody in that community would say, "Really?" Um everybody would say how beautiful that that is because that's the piece of the puzzle that people are sharing. And so my question would be to you and to anybody listening to this and saying, well, this is a little bit more too sci-fi or um, um, too airy-fairy for me or a little bit too out there for me is in our imagination – we're constantly um, putting forth different ideas. And so much of us in the world that we live in today, in the collective that we're in today, we're, we're always focusing on the negative and what isn't working and how bad things are and a state of hopelessness of have we crossed the line, have we, we gone too far, Um, Is there a way to turn this around? And what we feed grows. That's part of nature. That, That you can't deny that. In nature, what you feed grows. And as a world community, um, we have to question, are we feeding a collective nightmare because of um, so many of the... um, the imaginary thoughts that we keep feeding the world with of things have gone too far, is it possible to turn uh, around what's happening? So is there a positive benefit to starting to imagine a good world and starting to feed that vision and starting to align our thoughts with a positive vision? Um, and surrendering the outcome at the same time because we we don't know what the future holds because the future is created by the present. But would it be healthy, would it be benef- beneficial to hold a positive vision? And so when people have shamanic journeys into the future where we do see a positive future, it brings forth an energy of hope and um, it brings forth an energy of excitement of what could be, and it starts to um, stimulate people's feeling inside, which is so important right now, of, yes, I can be part of a larger change, and I can do something right now to be a positive change maker in the world instead of feeding um, a pessimistic vision. And so I don't know if 
these journeys are completely sci-fi. Um, I personally, I think they're beautiful, um, and I don't judge them because they came through as very strong messages from the spiritual world. And I also think that it's really beautiful for us to come together and to not deny that we have to take um, more responsibility of how we take care of ourselves, um, other life, and and the planet, and at the same time to hold a positive vision for a beautiful future for not just ourselves, but for our descendants, for all of life, and for the earth. So, Sandy, one of the tools you introduce in Walking in Light is working with ceremony. And as I'm listening to you, I'm curious if you might have a ceremony that you could suggest to someone who's listening to this and just still feels a little grumpy. Like, I hear everything Sandy's saying. I want to walk in light. I want this star to come and radiate through all my cells. But the truth is, you know, I'm working with some hard stuff and I'm not quite with her, even though I want to be. Could I do a ceremony? And what ceremony would I do? Yeah, I, I'm a, I love ceremony. And the power of ceremonies and shamanism is that ceremonies create change. And so one of the um, um, topics that I address in Walking in Light is uh, performing ceremonies to let go of our blocking beliefs and our attitudes um, that are stopping us from being able to hold a positive vision and believing in ourselves and believing in our own creative potential. And so working with an element that you feel attracted to, so... Um, let's say that you're listening to this podcast and you say, well, this is impossible. What she's saying is impossible. I don't believe that um, this could ever happen. Um, you could take that belief and go out into the earth and dig a little hole and you can um, take an object from nature such as a stick and uh, blow that belief. It's impossible to um, have a positive vision, to keep a positive vision for the world and for us to have a creative future. And then bury that stick that holds the belief in the earth, um, um, giving thanks to the earth for transforming that belief into light and love. You could uh, go to a toy store and get some bubbles. This is one of my favorite ceremonies. And blow bubbles into the air of a blocking belief. This is impossible. It could never work. Um, I don't believe it. And blowing that belief um, into the air, letting the air transmute it into an energy of love and light that can be shared. Um, you could build a little ship out of natural leaves and sticks and let it go into uh, water where you live, if you have a lake or if you live near the ocean or a river. My favorite ceremonies are fire ceremonies, but not everybody's attracted to working with the element of fire. Fire, the natural um, behavior of fire is to transmute and to transform. And so you can build a little fire in a fireplace um, and 
write down on a piece of paper everything that you don't like about what I said or believe what I said and put it into the fire. Or um, I talk about walking in light of uh, creating a little ceremonial bowl where you can burn little pieces of paper that have blocking beliefs or attitudes that you need to let go of. Um, and you can even do that on a daily basis if you want. Of you, This is your little offering bowl where every time a limiting belief or attitude comes up, you can write it down and, and burn it in the fire. You can imagine yourself um, sending that belief to a flame and letting the flame transmute and transform the energy behind your belief so that it's not about denying uh, what's going on in the world, but it's about holding the question of what if it's possible to create positive change and to use the elements in a ceremonial way of letting go of those beliefs that you might have gotten from society or from your family or growing up in this culture that says to you it's impossible. And whatever that belief or attitude is um, allowing yourself to open the door to at least the possibility that positive change can happen. So let's say somebody's dealing with a really deeply entrenched belief like, I'll never have love in my life, or I'll never have a meaningful career, something like that. It's a really painful pattern that they've been dealing with for a long time. Is it enough to just write that down and burn it in an offering bowl? Do I need to do more than that and invoke some positive possibility? What do you think? Well, I in Walking in Light, I wrote a couple of chapters, and I wrote them back-to-back intentionally. Um, I wrote one chapter on how to use your imagination to, because from a shamanic point of view, we're always dreaming um, our life and the world we live in into being. And how we do that is through our imagination, through our thoughts that we think throughout the day, through the words that we use, like the words, I can never have love in my life. Those are very powerful words. You plant them in the ground and you keep feeding them with your thoughts and your imagination and they're going to grow into a plant of you're never going to have love in your life. I mean, it's it's basic nature. Um, so in Walking in Light, I have a chapter on ways to use your imagination to bring forth your full sensory awareness so that um, you experience the love that you do want to live in your life. But then the chapter that goes along with it is if you keep um, imagining yourself having love in your life, but inside you don't believe that you can have it, that you deserve it, whatever you've been telling yourself throughout your entire life or whatever seed got planted into you by a parental um, figure or an authority figure in your life, if that thought keeps um, looping and accompanying your dreaming work, you're basically going to manifest that blocking belief. 
And so I think it's really essential that anybody who does any kind of visioning work to create love or um, a better future and present for themselves and for the planet, that at the same time, you have to keep performing ceremonies and not one time, but you have to keep doing them again and again to extract um, that plant from your inner garden. Um, So doing um, the work on seeing yourself as a landscaper of an inner garden and you want to uh, water and nurture the seeds that you do want to see grow, see grow, and you have to keep doing your work to removing um, the plants that you don't want to continue to see grow. And then I also suggest a variety of journeys that you can do that could help you take a, go a little bit deeper into looking at. Um, how where where is this belief coming from and what are some other ways of healing these beliefs i find ceremony to be extremely important but there are also exploratory journeys and experiences that people can perform to help to uh, deepen the healing work, to remove um, what's blocking um, one from being able to use their full creative potential. Do you have a a go-to ceremony, if you will, that you do every day, Sandy? Well, I love doing um, fire ceremonies, but Um, living in the desert, it gets a little challenging for me. So I do work with um, a shell um, and burning some sage. And I will put a little piece of paper that has a blocking belief in there and, and let that burn up. But my biggest ceremony that creates change, and I do this every single day, 365 days a year. I don't I don't care how depressed I am or how I feel or what my attitude is about life. Every single day I wake up and I give gratitude, number one, for my own life and acknowledge that life is precious. No matter how I'm feeling, that life is precious. I give thanks to my ancestors for giving me life. I give thanks to earth, air, water, fire, and the sun for sustaining me and the rest of life. I give thanks to my helping spirits, to the spirits of the land where I live. Um, And this is a ceremony that I do every day because what happens when we start our day from a place of gratitude, it allows our day to unfold Um, in a way that helps us to open to the beauty of life instead of waking up in the morning being grumpy and going, oh, my God, another day, and these are all the things that I'm going to have to face today. But starting um, the day with gratitude, and so for me personally, this is the most healing, powerful ceremony that 
I do, and I've done it for many, many, many years, and I do not miss a day again, no matter how I'm feeling. You know, Sandy, we included your work, an interview with you, in an anthology that Sounds True is publishing in 2015 called Darkness Before Dawn, Redefining the Journey Through Depression. And you talked some about how depression is something that you've worked with your whole life. And in listening to you describe waking up every day and being grateful for the preciousness of life, I think to myself, yeah, you know, maybe someone who doesn't suffer from depression could do that. But here you're doing it no matter how you feel. I mean, I imagine there are some mornings you may wake up feeling really rotten and unmotivated. And how do you do it? How do you express gratitude when you feel, you know, like SHIT? Well, you know, I depression is a very big issue for me, and it has been something that I've dealt with for a good part of my life. And I have learned through my shamanic practice that life, no matter how I'm feeling, life is a gift. And if I don't want to be here, um, life will find a way to take me out of of being here. You know, if I really want to focus on that. And so um, probably the most healing action that I've taken in my life that helps me to ride the waves of my depression, because I do go through um, long periods. I could go through months where I'm in a very dark place, as I shared in the new anthology that that's um, coming out. Um, the way that I have learned how to surf those waves and to work them through because the only way out is through. The way that I get through is to give gratitude for my life on a daily basis, no matter how I'm feeling. Um, I start my day. It doesn't mean that I always feel it, but um, by starting my day, uh, giving thanks for my life, it has completely changed the cycles of my depression um, to a place where I can easily manage them and can function really well through life, where I cannot say that that was true earlier on in my life. And it was really about learning how to be grateful for my life was one of the most powerful tools that um, helped me to learn how to surf the waves of depression and the darkness. Okay, Sandy, there's just one last thing I want to talk with you about today, which is the subtitle of your book, Walking in Light, is The Everyday Empowerment of a Shamanic Life. And I'm curious to know, when you think of shamanism as really being relevant and important, not just today, but in the years to come for our descendants. What aspects of shamanism do you think are perhaps irrelevant that we can let go of 
that we don't need to worry about from the past? And which aspects do you think, oh, these really matter, we need to keep these intact as we look at shamanism today and in the future? Well, I think um, shamanism in the past, for for one thing, shamanism has always evolved uh, because we're not practicing shamanism. Nobody's been practicing shamanism for a very long time, how shamanism was practiced tens of thousands of years ago. But one of the aspects of shamanism has been there is the one shaman or a couple of shamans in the community and that is a very important aspect. There are times when we need to seek out a shamanic healer, or shamanic practitioner to help us to work through a pain, illness, trauma that's happening in our life. But why that subtitle is so important to me and the point that I'm trying to make is that shamanism is not just a series of techniques and methods. And I think that understanding, it's time for that to go. Shamanism is a way of life. And everybody who lived in a shamanic community from a very young age was um, taught um, and encouraged to bring forth Um, an inherent gift that they were born with to contribute to the health and well-being of the community. And in shamanic communities, this wasn't just for the shaman, it was for everybody who lived in the community, um, understood the power of our words to create, and that thoughts are things, and that uh, thoughts actually manifest as something into the world. And so people were taught how to align their thoughts and words to create a positive vision for themselves, for the community, and for the planet, Um, and how to let go of the blocking beliefs, as we've talked about, and how to maintain a state of awe and wonder and gratitude and to learn how to bless others with our words and project our light into the world. And... This was something that everybody in the community um, learned from a very young age was how to live a life filled with harmony and also how to respect nature and that everything in nature is alive and and has a spirit and is um, part of a web of life and that everything um, is important to that that web of life and, and the whole entire web is dependent on the health and well-being of every life form that exists on the planet. And so these are core teachings that come from shamanic cultures that are so important in the times that we live in. So Yes, not everybody is born to be a shaman, but we are all born to live a shamanic way of life and to be able to learn how to empower our own life and how to fuel a positive vision for all of life and the planet itself. And so the hierarchical um, part of shamanism um of that somebody has more power than another person or that shamanism is a series of methods and you learn this particular technique and and healing happens. 
I think that's a part that is starting to um, lose its power in our time because the evolution of consciousness right now is um, asking us to move more into a place of cooperation and collaboration and for us all to work together to uh, not just improve our own lives, but to seek how to be in service to others and the planet itself. And that's the part of shamanism that I do believe is going to keep being an important part of our culture and into future times. And it's a part of the work that I feel very passionate about sharing because um, as we look at how to live a shamanic way of life um, and to bring some of these practices into our moment-to-moment life, I have seen extraordinary change in thousands of people, including myself. Sandy, I feel moved to ask you a favor, which is if we could end our conversation today with you offering a blessing of some kind to our listeners, a blessing really about walking in light. Okay, so um, I will close my eyes and I ask everybody to close your eyes and to take a deep breath and to just put your hands on your heart and, and breathe through your heart and just entertain the possibility, no matter how you're feeling, that it's such a gift to live on this incredible planet and to think about your favorite color, your favorite plant, what it looks like, and your favorite fragrance from nature, and your favorite sound from nature, your favorite taste, something natural that grows out of the ground, and to just really allow yourself to use all of your senses to experience the beauty of life. And let's together just experience the love for life and feel the earth holding us and that we're a bridge between the sky and the earth through our heart. And I share blessings from the helping spirits and the power of the universe that you can go inside and always remember that you are spiritual light and one with source and that you came here to be loved and to share love, to be a vessel of love. And I bless all of you and hope that you can find spiritual practices where you can feel yourself being held in the loving arms of the universe. And I end with, may you walk in light. My gratitude to Sandra Ingerman. Thank you so much. We've been talking about her new book, Walking in Light, 
the everyday empowerment of a shamanic life. With Sounds True, Sandra has also created the audio series Shamanic Visioning, connecting with spirit to transform your inner and outer worlds, as well as a book CD on shamanic journeying, a beginner's guide, and she's written a book with Hank Wesselman called Awakening to the Spirit World. Sandy, I always love talking with you. You're such an inspiring and deep figure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tammy. I I really appreciate all that you're doing in the world to help everybody improve the quality of life and be in service to all in the web of life right now. So thank you. Soundstrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.